the scripture reading that you just read, if your son or daughter were to come to you and say, Mom, Dad, give me my share of my estate, what would you say? <laughs> what estate? <laughs> My sermon title today is The Prodigal Son. No, The Prodigal Father. I got this inspiration from the book called The Prodigal God by Pastor Tim Keller, very famous writer, uh, bestseller. Um, some of my sermon material is from his book. But uh, I want to talk about The Prodigal Son and The Prodigal Father. Um, the parable of The Prodigal Son this is probably the one of the most well-known stories in the Bible, the story that Jesus told. And this story, if you think about it, it's just amazing how it is, it is taking place. You know the story how this young son asks for money from his father, and the father gives it to him, and he goes and spends it all, and he comes back. And the father accepts him back. And the first, the, the older son stays home, and the story goes as such. But which one of those two is the prodigal son? Is it the younger one that went away and came back, or is it the older one? Actually, it's both. <laughs> And I'll talk about this story today, and then next week I'll talk about the first son. But the word prodigal in Webster Dictionary means this. In adjective form, it means wasteful expenditure recklessly. But in a noun form, it means the one who spends or gives lavishly and foolishly. That's what it means. So the one who spent all he had in wasteful living or in wild living was definitely a prodigal son. But if you think about it, what about the father who gave almost wastefully to his son without holding back? Wasn't he a prodigal father as well? That's what we want to talk about. Was he your prodigal father or not? This God, this God's recklessness, or full-heartedly giving grace, giving all back, not asking, what did you do with the money that you got? What about the sins or responsibility? He didn't ask any of the questions when his young son came back, and he just accepted him back. That prodigalness of this father toward his son is our greatest hope. Did you realize that? Because of this father's prodigalness, we have hope. Now, who was the audience of this story? If you go to Luke 15, you don't have to go there, but basically it says in verse 1 of chapter 15, which has three 
stories of the parables, says, now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear him. That's when Jesus shares these three stories. So who's the audience? Tax collectors and the sinners. But then, why does Jesus share these three stories? That happens right after. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable, and he goes on. So the sinners and tax collectors, they are just drawn to Jesus like a magnet. They're drawn to Jesus. And every time they come, Jesus tells them stories or heals them, and, and be, he's, he's with them. But the Pharisees and the scribes, go to the back and they, they, they like complain, like, man, this man, he's not really a good guy. He's accepting sinners. He's eating with them. He's talking with them. He's associating with them. What's wrong with him? I thought he was a teacher of the law. That's what they're doing. And Jesus tells these three stories. So the audience actually is the tax collectors and the sinners, but he's addressing this story more toward the Pharisees and, and the scribes. Now, you guys listen to the story. But you know what? In the story, there are both groups. You see that? The first son and the second son, they both, are, they both resemble something similar to what these two groups represent. So, to the, so the immoral outsiders need a savior just as much immoral and good insiders do. They both need a savior. To the younger son, the father was merely a tool to accept his inheritance. His dad was only a channel to get his money. But even now, even that relationship he's sick of. Like that, I can't wait for you to die so I can get my money and do what I want. That's basically what he's doing. And he goes to his father and asks for that money. That inheritance, that, okay, so parents, let me ask you a question. You're still alive, you're healthy, you're still strong, and if you give away all your money, all your position, everything to your children, especially grown-up adult children, what happens to the children? Here's a, here's a quote that I found. Money isn't everything, but it sure keeps the children in touch. <laughs> if you give away your money and you have nothing left to give to your children, your grown children, what happens? They don't come back to see you. They don't even call you. That's serious. I mean, I, okay, my kids are still young, so I'm not there yet, but I get it, you know? And I've heard so many stories. I've seen so many stories. I've seen so many people that they have given everything to their children too soon, and their attitudes change. They don't respect their parents as much. There is no need because they got everything. When they pass away, there is nothing left for them to get from them. But if 
the parents still have the money, and if they have competition, they have other siblings. <laughs> now, like, they go call, they go talk to people, and they make sure that the parents are doing okay. Well, I'm not saying everyone's like that, but it's reality. And a lot of people, I've seen a lot of cases like that. This father, when the son comes and asks for money, or the word estate, he gives it to them. Is it wise? Not very. That's not recommended. That's not advised, advisable. But he does that. You know, this, I'll tell you what, what this means. Um, the word, uh, I'll talk about that, the, the word property later. But there was a, in, in our custom, for you to receive your parents' inheritance, what has to take place for the, parent, for the children to receive that? The parents have to pass away. It takes place afterwards. But this son comes and asks his dad, Dad, please give me the money. Give me all you have that comes to me now. What does that mean? In translation, in English, what does that mean? Dad, I don't want to see you anymore. I know this relationship was for me to receive what you're supposed to give me, but I don't even want that relationship. I want you dead. I want you to be dead so I can get what I want and just enjoy my life. That's basically what he's saying. What did you do if your son comes to you and do that? Slap him. Slap him right? <laughs> I'll, um, here, uh, one of the, I read this, that's our culture, Western culture. How about in the Mid-Eastern culture? A professor from uh, Presbyterian Cemetery in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, did a research on this topic. So, <clears throat> Dr. Kenneth Bailey, uh, he went, he's a professor of New Testament in Egypt, Lebanon, Jerusalem, and uh, Cyprus. He decided to go to the Middle East and ask this very question. So he went and visited hundreds of different villages in different countries, asking the same question, just one simple question. What did you do if you, your son comes to you and, and asks this question? And the answer, so he went towns from Iran, Iran to Morocco to Turkey to uh, southern Sudan. He asked all the people. And they said, never. No way. It never happened. And he asked, why not? And the answer was, because that means the son wanted his father to be dead, which is just utterly disrespectful. And they also said, we educate our children to respect our parents, respect their parents. So that's not, that shouldn't happen, except for two exceptions. He found two stories of that actually took place. One in Iran, one man asked his wealthy father to give him his inheritance. Three days later, the father died from a broken heart. His wife told Dr. Kenneth Bailey that her husband died the moment his son asked him for that share. And it was like the son took a knife and stabbed his father's heart again and again and again. Just like that. He died three days after. Second exception. It happened in Palestine 
where a young man wanted to ask his father for the inheritance. The father killed his son right there. So those two stories, true story. This, I mean, this, you've heard this sermon so many times. I don't have to go through the each detail, but... So the son comes and asks for money, and the father, the ver- in verse 20, in verse 12, he says, So he divided his property, who are living in King James Version, between them. So the word property or living in Greek, that word is actually bios, which our English word bio is derived from. Now, what does that mean? Bio. Biochemistry, bioengineering, bio something. That means life. Means life. So, you know, Jesus could have used another word that, that describes money or our building or our land or our real estate. But here, Jesus specially uses the word bios, which means life. So when the son came and asked his father, Father, give me your estate. Give me my money that, I'm, that is supposed to come, unto, I mean, come to me. Basically, his father divided up his life and gave it to his first and the second son. Did you know that? I, until this time, I thought he gave money to his second son only. But it says he divided the money among them, between them. So the second son received the money as well as the first son, the older son. What did he do with that money? (laughs) He was respectful. He kept it with his dad, I guess. Now, if you think about it, what happened is this. If you follow on in verse 13, not long after the son takes the money and and takes off. Now, let's think about this for a minute. So the father gives his share to his son, two of his sons. Do you think he just went to a bank and cast all that balance and gave it to them? Or he went to his, his treasury room or his, his safe, opened up his safe, opened up the safe, and here's the gold, here's the diamond, here's whatever, here's the stock, here's whatever. Do you think he did that? No. What did he do? He went and pulled out all the paper, documents. And I said, okay, here's a piece of land. You can take this. Here's a piece of land. Here's the house. You can take this. Here's a mountain. Here's a land that has a river and whatever. This father may have been rich, looking like he had many sons. Not many sons. Many servants. Looks like he had a lot of money to share. Basically, that's what he did. So this you can keep, this you can keep. Now, the first son has how much more? First son gets the double portion of all the rest of the sons. In this case, there were two sons. So two-thirds of the father's money would have gone to the first son and then one-third to the second. So he got that document, like paperwork, that this house belongs to you, this land belongs to you, this whatever. And it says, not many days after, in another translation, few days later, he got everything, he gathered everything, and he went to the faraway country. How is it possible? If you were to sell your house in three days and get money, is it possible? 
if your house is, let's say, $500,000, and you want to get $520,000, $550,000, you have to have it in the market for a long time until you find the right buyer to buy it. But if you were to sell your house, $500,000 house, for like $300,000, what's going to happen? Everybody will come, especially these days, a lot of people come with cash to buy a house, right? Did you know that? <laughs> um, it's not even down payment, no bank loan, nothing. They just come with pile of bags of cash. Here you go. And they actually pay more than what you're asking for. So that's the story. This son, he couldn't have left to a faraway country with land and piece of paper in his docu document in his hand. He needs to have cash in his hand. That means he sold everything so quickly for him to do that. Do you think he got the full amount for each property? Probably not. He sold everything for a dirt cheap price. So people were saying, you know what? If you're selling that for like 30% off, yeah, I'll buy it. Here's my cash. And that's what happened. Now, his father and his brother were still living in the house. And he goes around and like, okay, here. And he's selling everything to people. Whoever wants to give me money today, I'll sell it. That's what happened, most likely. And he goes and he sells everything. And we know what happened. After many days, he spends all that money. He wastes all that money. He doesn't have any more, any more money anymore, and he's hungry now. So he works at where? The pig farm, feeding pigs. Have you ever smelled pig poo? <laughs> any kind of poop in the farm is, is not good. If you drive along like five, uh, Highway 5 North, if you go around like Bakersfield, you can smell it, right? <laughs> All the cow farms, those who have smelled it, open the windows or had the AC like, and then drive like, whoop, <laughs> this is that area and you just close everything, right? But pigs smell worse. You know why? Cows usually eat grass, hay, and stuff. Pigs, well, they, they usually eat like whatever. Yeah, <laughs> and cows, they can digest things a little better, whereas pigs, just straight out. So just like human waste, pigs' waste smell really bad, like worse than cows. Um, I don't know if you had the chance or experienced pigs' farm and how badly it smells, but I was, um, maybe I was in college or in high school, I was helping, volunteering to help someone, and uh, the work that was given to me that day was to go to a pig farm and pick up their waste and bring it in the truck and make compost. I was like, really? <laughs> <laughs> so three guys ran inside the truck and we drove to the pig farm and we were like, oh, this smells horrible. We had to shovel, like physically shovel everything to the back of the truck and we were driving back to this guy's farm. And I was like, oh, man, this is just horrible. It was a summer day. It was hot. We were shoveling all morning. We were sweating. It was hot. It was like, you know what? Let's take a break. And like, what do we want to get? Let, how should we take a break? Let's go get some ice cream. So we decided to go to a 7-Eleven. 
in that small country town, they had a 7-Eleven right out, like, right along the road. So we pulled over to the side of the road. <laughs> All of us, we have, like, pig poop in the back of a truck. <laughs> the whole street just stops, and they're, like, they're, like, bypassing us. <laughs> we got out. You know, we were, like, pretty much, we had pig smell, pig poop all over us. We walk into the 7-Eleven store, <laughs> and everyone's like, woo! <laughs> it was bad, but we didn't care because we don't smell it anymore because, you know, our, our senses got desensitized because we've been there for, like, hours, right? We pick our ice cream, we go to the counter, and the clerk was like, the face is like, I don't want to get your money. <laughs> Well, we paid for it, but that's what it looked like. <laughs> so pigs smell bad. But <clears throat> this guy was feeding pigs. You know, you can imagine how dirty he was and how smelly he was. And he came back. And as soon as he came back, what happened? The son comes back, and he practiced his line because he was so hungry. He wanted to go back to his father's home and say, Dad, I have sinned. I'm not worthy to be called your son. Please hire me as your hired servant. And then I'll just work. You know why he did that? There are two different types. One, a, a, a bound slave. One, a hired servant. Which one sounds better? Which one sounds uh, uh, in a better condition? Slave or servant? Servant, right? That's what it sounds like. But let me tell you what's going on. A servant is a higher person, meaning you get paid. If there's no more work, the owner will not hire the servant anymore. Whereas a bond slave lives in the house, has a security of food and work and lodging. It's like getting a full-time job, full job with benefit, whereas a part-time job. You get paid only when you work. See the difference? So this son says, please hire me as your hired servant so I can get paid and pay you back, start paying you back for what you gave me because I don't deserve this. I think that's the mentality he had. But basically he comes back. And before he comes and finishes his line, his father comes and accepts him back. The Bible says it was way, still a long way off. The father spots him. That's my son. And he runs toward him, embraces him, kisses him, and he tells his servants to go and bring the best robe and, and all that story. You know, you know all that, right? But what I want to focus on here is this. The father spotted him. This kind of father who has many servants in the house and a lot of land and a lot of people working for him is not the kind of person who does everything on his own. It's the kind of father who gets reports from people. Okay, master, the harvest is this much ready. Or we have this many hired people to work today. What do, what do you want me to do? What should be done today? That's the kind of, it's like a CEO almost. But this father spotted the son before the son saw his father he runs toward him. What does that mean? He's been waiting and watching. 
As soon as he read, he was close enough for him to realize in his old eyes, he ran. Now, about running. Do old men run? Well, here in this culture, you can. You know, there's nothing wrong with running. It's that the older people tend to walk more than run, but little children run all the time, right? In American culture, running is, I mean, nothing wrong, nothing bad. But in a Korean culture, there is something, like old, old Korean culture. When there is like a sudden shower, showering, and you get wet, you didn't bring your umbrella, or, or you're, you're not at home, you're outside. Old men do not run. They would rather get wet than to run. Why? Fall, yeah, fall, yeah, that, that's true. But for them, it's more like a respect. It's like shameful to run. They, they, they would like, you know, we don't run kind of thing. That's, that's in Korean culture that I know, that I, I, I grew up learning or hearing about that. But in the, uh, the culture in the Bible, it's, it's a little different. So people at, at that time, what kind of clothes did they wear? They wore long robes, down, like reaching down to the ankle. Just like a, like a bride wearing a wedding dress. For you to move fast or run, what, what, would ha- what do you need to do? You need to lift your clothes up, exposing your legs. Otherwise, you will trip and fall. So this old man, wearing a long robe, respected, honored, has to reveal his legs to run, which is a shameful thing in their culture. They never run. Older men never run. Younger men or children or women can, but older men never do. 1976, in uh, Vicar Valley, this is a story that I read from a book from a uh, professor at Andrews. A big celebration took place in this valley. People parked their cars all over the side of the mountain, the parking road and the side. But then the party took place in the middle of the valley. There was an earthquake. All the cars just rolled down and, and just went down into the middle of the valley while people were all there gathered and having a party. Everybody started running, screaming, running for life, running away from cars. Four older men, elderly men, refused to run and died. There's, they said, I would rather die than run. That's their culture. That's, that's what they do. But this father forgot about all his life, all his respect, all his, about his shame. He exposed his leg, probably all the way to the place where he could do a full 100-meter mar- dash. I can just imagine. Just like, I don't care. He just ran toward his son and grabbed him. God's love and forgiveness will pardon any kind of sin. A lot of Christians make a mistake here. They say, you know what? Look at this father. He would, the son didn't have to do anything. The father forgave everything. There was nothing the son did. The father accepted him back. There's nothing that we as Christians need to do to be, to be forgiven. The father has forgiven us everything 2,000 years ago. There's nothing that you have to do. You are saved. You are forgiven. You are, you're good. Is that true? The son had to repent, turn around, which means repentance, turn around and come back to the father. Now, let me ask you a question. At what point did the father forgive his son? When he came back with dirty clothes? 
while he was partying outside? The moment he left his father's house, the moment he asked for his father, Dad, I don't want to see you live. Give me your money so I can go. That moment, father already forgave him. However, was the son forgiven? Did he realize that he, his father had already forgiven him while he was out there partying? No. Forgiveness was already offered. Father already forgave him. But the son didn't realize, he didn't know that he was forgiven until he repented and came back to the father. That's what we as Christians have to do. We have to go back, repent and go back to God. As soon as we do that, then God will accept us. Whatever sin we have committed, however dirty we smell, however terrible situation we are in, as soon as we turn around and go back to God, He will run toward us. Do you want to go to God? Do you want to go to a father like this? Do you want to go to a prodigal father like this? I'll read this one story to finish. Joe was on a plane and sat in the aisle seat. He was hoping that someone quiet could sit next to the two seats so that he could rest on, the four, on this four-hour flight. A minute later, a lady came with a boy in her arms and one other following her. She also had a backpack on her back and a suitcase. They were going to sit next to Joe, so he got up, helped the lady put the stuff in the cabin. The lady sat in the window seat holding a 10-month-old boy, and the little girl, who looked like a four or five, sat in the middle. The plane took off, and as soon as the plane took off, he realized that the lady was in trouble. The minute she pays attention to the son, the girl whines. The minute that she pays attention to the girl, the boy whines. Have you ever been in this situation? <laughs> so he decided to help. So he played with the little girl in the middle, and he read books for her. Everything went fine until about 30 minutes to their final destination. The most violent turbulence since Noah's flood came and hit the plane. The plane was shaking up and down, side to side, and it was just crazy. The, the girl, little girl started screaming, and soon after, everyone on the whole plane screaming. Eventually, the plane landed, and Joe helped the lady carry her stuff. They walked toward the border between the secured area and the unsecured area where people come and meet, right? And this uh, mega-sized international airport, the boy in the lady's arm, because of the turbulence, threw up his everything he ate from the day he was born. <laughs> she shot at his mother's face, and half of it came back to him. It smelled so bad, and Joe started to just walk away from them. They looked so terrible, and they smelled even more horrible. And then, just then, all of a sudden, a handsome gentleman came out of blue, ran toward them. This well-built, gentle-looking man approached this smelly lady and hugged her and kissed her. He then took and looked at the boy wearing his lunch and breakfast all over him, wiped the vomit off his face, and kissed him. Then he took the little girl in his arms too. That is love. Isn't this what our Heavenly Father does to us every time we go to God? 
We may look filthy with our sins. We may smell terrible with our bad habits that we hold on to. But when we go to God, He will wipe out the filthiness from our face and He will embrace us. Whenever we look at ourselves, we don't know how in the world we could be saved. But whenever we look at Jesus, we don't know how in the universe we could be lost. Is there anyone in this room today that may have gone astray and haven't come back home yet? Do you realize the Father's love? Do you want to get up and turn back to God? I invite you to forget about everything and just turn away and go back to God. We have to go to God before it is too late. You know that time is coming really short. The time of closer probation is coming really close, really soon. We have to go to God before it is too late. I invite you, all of us, to turn around and go back to God. And if you are already there, rejoice with Him and help other, our brothers and our sisters, to come to God too. How many of you want to remember this God's love and go to God? And I pray that we all will go to God today and He will wipe away everything, all the sins, all the habits, all the filthiness, and he, we experience God's embrace. Let us pray. Our Father God in heaven, we are just so grateful that you have shown your love to us. And Lord, without your love, without the love that, that the son remembered, the son would never go back to God, go back to his father. In the same way, if we do not remember you and your love, we will never go back to God. But Lord, remember how loving you are, how grateful you are. Help us to go back to God where you will embrace us and where you will love us. Please bless every single one of us. Help us to be cleansed from our sins. Lord, we confess our sins, our habits, our filthiness, the things that we cannot even share with other people, the shame that we have in us, the, the sins that we have in us. We give it to you, God. Please cleanse us. Accept us back. Please have us back in your embrace, in your bosom, so that we could be saved. Please bless everyone here. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.